Antetokounmpo. Williams, stout defense. Threw it to himself. Oh, he's eviscerating the Celtics inside. Wow. Just pure talent, just pure instinct. You know, he's a great player. He, he does things that uh, are unique and special and, and timely. And I'm happy he's on our side. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. breaking news right before the show tonight four minutes ago sham sharania stadium the athletic big news breaker the uh the biggest rival to Woj. those two are always the ones trading the scoops right well sham's got him this time celtics say marcus smart is out for game two due to a thigh contusion which and i i don't mean this i'm not poking fun at marcus smart i i like i like marcus smart I know a lot of Bucks fans on Sunday were tweeting about him and they hate him. I, I I think I can push through in this series without completely melting down as a fan and hating Marcus Smart. I actually like Marcus Smart. Which injury was this? Is this the one that he brought into the game? He left with the shoulder, but then he got the thigh later in the game, right? He's got a couple injuries going on right now. And again, we talked about this yesterday. It's easy to play physical with Giannis until you actually have to step up and play physical with Giannis. You know, <laughs> it's a little bit more, it's a little easier said than done. Playing physical with the Nets and trying to knock Kevin Durant around, that's one thing. Trying to knock Giannis around is different. I think he said after the game, I might be weird, but I like feeling beat up after a game. I like it when it's physical. It makes me feel good. Good luck. Good luck with that. Good luck with that, psycho. And he took a couple of pops uh, for Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart took a couple more on Sunday. Marcus Smart going to be out tonight. It's almost like the team that's the healthiest should be worried so far in these NBA playoffs, right? Like that scene from Shrek when they're walking through Duloc. Is it the town? It's quiet. It's too quiet. That's been the story of this NBA playoffs. The Celtics, it looked like things were lining up for them. We're healthy. We're too healthy. Right? Everybody's dealing with at least one injury. Now Boston, they get Robert Williams back. Now Jalen Brown has a hamstring. And now Marcus Smart has like... Four different injuries. He's not going to play tonight in game two. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I hope you're having an awesome day. I'm excited for the basketball games tonight because the games last night really didn't do it for me. Philly, Miami, I don't think this is going to be the series for me. I tweeted about it last night at Wisco Grant. The Philly, Miami series is the kitty table series of this round. Phoenix versus, um, we watched last night. Who was it? Oh, Luka Doncic and the Mavs. Great series. Even if the Mavs aren't nearly as good as Phoenix, it's fun to watch Luka do his thing. He was unbelievable last night. Warriors-Grizzlies, that's tonight. That's a really fun series. That's going to be a blast to watch. Bucks-Celtics, wow. Two heavyweight teams. And Giannis is the superstar, and they're the defending champs. And then you got Gabe Vincent and Max Struess and P.J. Tucker yelling after they wrestle an offensive rebound away from Tobias Harris and George Niang. They're like, ah, actually don't think I want to watch that. I watched a little bit of the wild, like, wild game last night instead. Watched a better call Saul before bed. I never do that. If there's NBA playoff basketball on, I'm watching. Last night I'm watching Sixers Miami. I'm like, mm, no. Tonight's slate of games, the Bucks and the Warriors, they've been paired the same day. They were both on Sunday. Now they're both on tonight. 
the much better day. So we're in for a good night. Love that. We're going to talk about that throughout the course of the show. I want to talk about the draft, including a wide receiver take. I'm going to try to make the case that the Packers wide receivers are not as bad as most people make them out to be. In fact, I think the Packers are taking a creative strategy and going about the wide receiver position and their deficit at number one wide receiver and outside wide receiver. They're going about that deficit in a in a smart way, a creative way, a Craig Council way, dare I say. That's coming up in yeah, about an hour or so. I want to talk about some draft grades as well, but we're going to have fun with it. Draft grades are stupid, but not the way we're going to do it tonight. That's all coming up. You can text me, call me. 608-796-2558. Schmidt on the north side already says, I hope Giannis goes for G-damn 45 tonight. Step on their throats. I love it, Schmidt. What happened at work today? That's a little bit, it's a little violent from you, which I love. But I'm just wondering, did you have, is everything okay at work and at home? Please and thank you, Schmidt on the north side. We're going to talk about Giannis and what he might be capable of in about 15 minutes. I have a clip from Nick Wright I want to play you. I'm not sure I would agree with what he's saying or not. So, Schmidt, we're going to get to that. Put a pin in that for just a few minutes. Twitter, at Wisco Grant as well. You can find me on Twitter there if Twitter's your thing. I remember at the very beginning of the playoffs, there were a lot of guys who were hurt. I remember coming in on a Monday, starting a week with a show, and just saying, damn, Booker's hurt, Luca's hurt, Scotty Barnes, Robert Williams had yet to come back at this point. And I remember sitting here, starting the show, basically saying, I'm so glad that the Bucs won a title last year. I'm so, I'm so glad. And we want the Bucs to repeat, and I'm going to live and die with all these games, but... As Bucks fans, we kind of this postseason just get to sit back and enjoy. And if Chris Middleton isn't able to come back and the Bucks come up a little short because of that, okay, you know, you hope for a better result next year. But when you have Giannis in Milwaukee and you're trying to make it work with him and you're trying to keep him and you're trying to win with him, when Chris Middleton gets hurt and you miss out an opportunity in the playoffs, I, that, that's an opportunity you don't get back. And now that the Bucks have won a championship, feels like a weight has been lifted off our shoulders, right? Or some of these other teams, they got to be freaking out a little bit. And Bucks fans, I, I don't think we are. This postseason, we've gotten to relax a little bit so far. Along those same lines, speaking of things that have been taken from us, the Bucks winning a title last year robbed us of a yearly discussion, which I so much enjoy. The discussion of adjustments. Adjustments! Adjustments. Adjustments. We're talking about adjusting here, folks, from one game to the next. From the first half to the second. From one series to the next, adjustments, right? For two years, we spent two months going into the playoffs. We went into the bubble two years ago thinking, is this the year that Bud can finally make adjustments? And then last year, oh, is this the season Bud's going to have to adjust? Can he adjust? Can he make adjustments? We did that the last two years, right? So I kind of want to reminisce to start the show a little bit. And I want to talk about adjustments, just like the good old days. Just like 2019, 2020. And just like 2020, 2021, before they went on to win the title and Bud proved his worth, proved his salt as a coach that can make adjustments. I don't want to talk about adjustments for Coach Bud and the Bucks. I actually want to talk about the Celtics. Ime Udoka, their head coach, and Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown, and Al Horford, Robert Williams. Now, I think adjustments are overrated. And I think we've talked about that before. There isn't always an adjustment to be made. Sometimes one team just has to play better. Right? That's what I think the case is with the Packers in the playoffs. Now, they could maybe use another wide receiver. They could use an extra defensive lineman. Don't get me wrong. And, and maybe Matt LaFleur could have made a better coaching decision here or there. But by and large, the last two years in the playoffs, if the Packers just play better, if Aaron Rodgers just plays better in the biggest moment, they win. No adjusting there. Just do your job a little bit better. Make a couple more throws. Make a couple more tackles, right? Often obsessing over adjustments is 
kind of for the birds. It's for a casual fan. It's for a dumb fan, right? And we think of adjustments as some magical recipe that will help my team win. My team has been losing in the playoffs, but if only the coach would change this and this, then we'd win. Eh. Not always the case. It's not always the case. In fact, most often it's not the case. And a big adjustment that folks always call for in NBA playoff series, right? You got to attack the weakest defender. We hear that all the time. Hunt that mismatch down. I remember last year when the Bucks were playing the Nets and they were down 0-2 in the series and James Harden is out there on a bum hamstring. People could not believe that the Bucks were not attacking James Harden. He's got a bum hamstring. He's not a good defender. Attack him. Isolate him in the pick and roll. Get a switch onto him so you can hunt him on defense. And then again in the Hawks series. Why are you not hunting Trey Young? Why are you not isolating him and taking advantage of his small size on the offensive end of the floor? Why are you not hunting the mismatch? Hunt the mismatch. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah, it is good to hunt James Harden or it is good to hunt Trey Young. And the Hawks had a tough time with that in Miami. Miami did a pretty good job of that. But sometimes an offense isn't designed for that. Sometimes the offense doesn't have the personnel to hunt mismatches. Sometimes hunting mismatches is actually a bad thing because it can take an offense out of the flow and it can get an offense away from what it's really good at, right? Like if the Packers, to use a football example, because I think because we play Madden and we all maybe played football at one point, maybe football is schematically easier to understand. If the Packers defense is predicated, or the Packers offense, predicated on running the ball, run, 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 we're really good at it, right? And they go up against a team with really poor safeties and a really bad corner. And the Packers coach, offensive coordinator, comes into this week of this game and say, hey, I know we're a running team, but this week we're not going to run, right? We need to pass the ball because this team doesn't have good corners and they don't have good safeties. Now, maybe in spirit, that's, that's correct. Maybe that's not the worst idea in the world. You want to attack the opposition's weakness, but you also want to play to your strengths. If you're really good at running the ball, Keep running the ball. Don't obsess over chasing some mismatch, right? And it's the same in basketball. If your offense and your personnel on offense and your scheme isn't designed to hunt a mismatch, then don't obsess over hunting the mismatch. But we turn on get up in the morning or first take, and the talking head is always, how are you not attacking Trey Young on defense? It's like, well, with what instrument? Do they have the right player to attract Trey Young? Do they have the right offense? Do they have? Maybe they're not a team that hunts mismatches very well, right? But yet we hear talking heads and fans always saying, you got to hunt the mismatch. Well, I want to play for you a part of Ime Udoka's postgame presser from Sunday. He was asked about a certain lineup that the Bucks showed the Celtics and the challenges that that lineup presented. So here's the Q&A from Sunday. Ime Udoka, the Celtics head coach. Bobby, Lopez, Giannis lineup. Uh, what, what extra challenges does that present when they're using all three of those guys at the same time? It was a bigger lineup, I mean, than traditional, what you see nowadays, but we've, we played against those guys all year and had some success, so um, we feel there are some advantages against Lopez and, and Portis as well, so uh, we're a big team as well, and, you know, these are two larger size teams going at it. I don't, I don't know if that affected us as much as their guards, honestly, on the perimeter. Okay, this is a good question, good answer. I am not picking apart the question. I'm not picking apart the answer. What Ime Udoka said makes a lot of sense. But I think a fan would hear that and think, oh, you know, Bobby Portis was really effective on offense. 6-12 from the field, good catch and shoot, hit a couple three-pointers, got 11 rebounds, really useful offensive player, right? But Bobby Portis is a minus defender. He's not a very good defender. And, and Brooke Lopez is big and slow. So the Celtics in game two to adjust, they need to attack those two guys, right? 
isolate them, draw them out to the perimeter, get them in space, and attack, right? I think that's what a lot of fans would say, and I think that's what some media members would say as well. I don't think it's that easy, and maybe that's the Bucks fan in me talking. Maybe tonight they're going to run some magical offense, the Celtics are, and they're going to isolate Brook Lopez and make him look silly, and they're going to score on Bobby Portis, and we'll come back and we'll start from square one on tomorrow's show. But I don't think it's simply as easy as hunting mismatches when the Bucks get into their big lineup, right? Let's break this down. The way you would attack Bobby Portis or Brooke Lopez, draw them into space, isolate them, pick and roll, get them in a switch, right? That's, that's how you go about that. First problem with that for the Celtics is that's a really inefficient brand of offense. I don't think that's good offense. Every once in a while, it's good. Situationally, it's good. It's equivalent to only throwing back shoulder routes in football. If Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, if their whole offense was timing routes to the perimeter, yeah, that's that's a high degree of difficulty. That's not that's not easy. You're not taking what the defense gives you. You're trying to make the flashy, fancy play. And every once in a while, in the red zone and on third down, that's good. And in basketball, every once in a while, it's good to hunt mismatches. But over the course of a game, it's really inefficient. Let's think of all the steps that you need to go through, right, to get a bucket off of a pick-and-roll ISO, right? I have a couple of steps that are out. And this is everything that needs to go correctly for the Celtics to get Brooke or Bobby into a spot and then score on them. Step number one, bring the ball up, right? And I know this seems like a foregone conclusion, but Boston doesn't really have a true point guard, and they're without Marcus Smart tonight. I don't think Derek White's that good, and I don't think Peyton Pritchard's that good either. Drew Holiday did not respect any of those guys as a ball handler the other night. The data has taught us that the later a possession starts in the shot clock, the lower the success rate of the possession. So if you can get the other team to start their set with 15 seconds left rather than 19, that's a big advantage, which makes sense. There's less time on the shot clock for the offense to work with. Drew Holiday the other night dogged Marcus Smart, Derek White, or Peyton Pritchard, whoever, and he's going to continue to do that because he did that to Chris Paul for 94 feet in the NBA Finals last year. If he can do it to Chris Paul, he can do it to these guys, right? So that's step one. The Celtics have to do that effectively. Get the ball up the court past Drew Holiday in a timely manner, which is easier said than done. Then step two, assuming they are able to pull off step one, you got to establish and execute the pick and roll. Boston tried to do this a few times in game one, but they kept the the geography was bad. They would pin themselves against the half court boundary or against the sideline. It was never in a good spot. Also, Drew Holiday is outstanding at getting over ball screens because he's so effective at getting up in the grill of a ball handler so he can just slip over the screens. So a switch isn't even guaranteed. And now you're back in square one. You've wasted time and you still don't have the matchup you're looking for. Step three. Now, if you made it this far, we have to assume that a Celtics ball handler has successfully gotten the ball up the court and switched and isolated Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis in space, which takes a couple of steps. That's not easy. Now you got to get around him. Okay. Brooke might be slow, but he's seven feet tall. Bobby might not be a great defender, but he's 6'11". Okay. An 18-wheeler might be slow. That doesn't mean they're easy to pass. They're huge, right? And not every ball handler is Chris Paul. Not every player can make a big dance in space and get around them. Just like my 2002 Toyota Avalon can't drift past a semi on 94, even though my car is much quicker and more agile than a semi. It's it's not not the Chris Paul of cars, okay? I would say it's more of a Sean Livingston. It's got leather interior, a six-disc CD changer, an ashtray. It's not really a Chris Paul. It's more of an old-timey car, but it's great. I can't get around. I can't drift around semis on the freeway, though. So if you can get by the big, which means you've accomplished step one, step two, step three, a lot of 
potholes for error along the way for the Boston ball handler, the offensive player. Now step four. You made it past Bobby and Brooke. Guess who's waiting under the rim as a help defender? Oh, Giannis, defensive player of the year, who as a help defender is essentially Gumby if Gumby was made of molten steel and rebar. Good luck. You know, like, you know what I mean? Good luck with that. And if by the grace of God, you get the ball up there and it goes in, fine. But you had to move mountains to get that done. The Bucks defensive personnel is really, really good. And it's not as simple as, well, we got to find ways to punish Bobby Portis and Brooke Lopez when they're on the floor. I don't think it's as easy as hunting the mismatch. A lot of fans would tell you it is. And that's this big adjustment that the Celtics have to make tonight. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. I want to talk about the Giannis part of the equation. Giannis did not have offensive production wise a great day on Sunday. He only had 24 points. Great facilitator, understood his role in the assignment to a T, but didn't have a ton of scoring. I don't think that will continue just because he's so brilliant. He's going to explode a couple of times in the series. And I want to talk about that coming up next. I want to play you a clip from Nick Wright, who had a really interesting spin on Giannis and facing him in a series. I'm not sure I agree with it, but I'm fascinated with his line of thinking. So I want to play that for you next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Appreciate you hanging out. My name is Grant Bills. Buck Celtics coming up in just a matter of hours. If you missed the news, Marcus Smart is out tonight with a thigh contusion. The first thing I thought of when I saw this news was, hmm, I remember feeling like this last year when Trey Young was out and then the Bucks went on to lose. I'm not saying the Bucks are going to lose tonight. But I'm not guaranteeing a win based on this news. I think the Celtics are going to play like the more desperate team. They need to win at home. They can't go down 0-2, headed back to Milwaukee. And I I think the Marcus Smart absence actually might make them more desperate. And uh, as my uh, my high school football coach used to say, I didn't play football, but the high school coach at my high school used to say, the most dangerous animal, one backed into a corner. So that was my first thought when I saw that Marcus Smart is out. And Justin Garcia, who will join us on, well, tomorrow, actually. I have it written on the wall in front of me because I've, I have a lot going on this week. I'm filling in in the morning, and I got guests in the morning and at night. And I, I have a big sheet of paper on the wall in front of me. Justin, tomorrow, Brian Sampson on Friday. Arif Hassan from The Athletic going to talk draft and NFL with us on Friday, too, while I'm giving you the rundown. But Justin tweeted six minutes ago. Obviously, a huge blow for the Celtics, but I would just add, remember how everyone felt last year when the Bucks were up 2-1 and learned Trey Young was out for game four. Agree. It was the first thing that came to my mind. I'm not saying the Bucs are going to lose. I'm just saying that's what came to my mind. It's really, really, really hard to fake desperation, and the Celtics are going to be the much more desperate team tonight, the much more dangerous team, because they need this game more than the Bucs do, even though the series just got started on Sunday. I get a text earlier in the show from Schmidt on the north side, 608-796-2558. He said, I hope Giannis goes for goddamn 45 tonight. I censored that a little. Step on their throats with four or five exclamation points. I think Schmidt had a stressful day at work. Um, Giannis going for 40 tonight doesn't seem all that unlikely. He had 24 points in game one, and the Celtics have a lot of solid defensive options to throw at Giannis. I don't think there's a good defensive option 
in the entire league. But relative to everyone else, the Celtics have a couple of guys. They can try Al Horford, Tatum, Robert Williams, Jalen Brown, Grant Williams. These are very big, thick-bodied dudes, and none of them are great defenders against Giannis, but when you have lots of options, you can rotate him through, spread fouls around, right, and just beat Giannis up, although that didn't go very good on Sunday. I don't know what Giannis is going to score tonight, and I don't know exactly how good Boston can defend him, but I don't see him being held to 24 points on 25 shots again. Nick Wright, Fox Sports, said this on First Things First yesterday. And this gets to the idea that Giannis can't be held down for more than a game or two at a time. I love Nick's thinking. I'm not sure if I... I like his conclusion. You know what? I'm just going to play it. It's 45 seconds. I I just want to talk about this because it's very interesting. But here's why. Remember, this is in response to the Celtics losing on Sunday. So when this went on on Monday morning, Celtics are down 0-1. What do you think of the series so far through one game? This was Nick Wright's take. But here's why Boston should be in real trouble or should feel really nervous. They started this series down 2-0 because Giannis is worth two wins of greatness, 40-plus point games, lock it in. Now they're down 3-0 because he didn't have one of those games. So that, to me, if you're Boston, you only only have one game in the series that you can lose that isn't because Giannis just kicked your teeth in and they already lost it. That, to me, is really concerning if I'm Boston, is that there was only one. You can only lose three. And I think Giannis is going to beat you by himself twice. So to, in, by, in my head, Boston's down 3-0. This is the kind of take that I would be very proud of myself for coming up with. I think maybe it's a bit extreme. Saying that any team is starting a series down 0-2 is... I don't know, but, but he's not necessarily wrong. I think Giannis, as we saw in the finals last year against a really good Phoenix team, I think Giannis is good for two or three games where he just goes off and he basically wins the game by himself. Now, I think the Bucks supporting cast is good enough where in the event Giannis scores 40 or 45, the Bucks can't lose. Right? Right? Do you envision a scenario, at least in this round against Boston, specifically now with Marcus Smart out and Jalen Brown, I think, is dinged up with a hamstring or, or something. At least he looked that way in game one. Do you think there is a world in which in this round... Giannis scores 40-plus, and the Bucks lose? Assuming no one gets injured, assuming Drew stays healthy, Brooke, Bobby, everyone stays out there, nothing changes. Do you see a world in which Giannis goes for 40-plus and the Bucks lose? Man, I, I don't know. Tatum, Tatum would have to go nuts, or Jalen Brown would have to go nuts. Some Celtic would have to go for 35-plus, right? 21 from Tatum and 18 from Brown ain't going to cut the snuff in that scenario. If Giannis scores 40-plus, what's the Bucks' odds of winning? 90-plus percent? So let's say if Giannis goes for 40 twice, they win those two games. Well, Giannis didn't go for 40 in game one, and the Bucks won anyways. Now, Giannis only had 24 points, but I think that was partly because the Celtics tried to defend the Bucks straight up. I talked to you, remember Chris Porter was on the show last week, and he's written at different places and covered the NBA in a couple different places, and we were just chatting with him on Friday, shooting the breeze about the Celtics series and, and his team, which is the Celtics. His profile picture on Twitter is with Brian Scalabrini, which is pretty funny. And he told me, if, if I was Ime Udoka, if I was in charge of the Celtics, my strategy would be let Giannis go for 40 and put the clamps on everyone else. 
force Giannis to take 30 shots a game, 30 to 35 shots a game, make him go to the line and make a lot of free throws, like make Giannis work. Let him score because you, if you're only attributing one or two defenders to Giannis, it might be inefficient, but he's going to stack up numbers. But don't let Drew Holiday score 25. And don't let Grayson Allen have 11. And don't let Bobby Portis have 15 because that's how you'll get beat, right? I think that's what the Bucs did with Booker in the finals last year. And maybe now it would be useful to go back and rewatch it. They basically said, hey, Book, you're not an efficient player. You're not the best three-point shooter in the world. We're going to let you cook. Go to town. We're going to give you an advantageous one-on-one matchup. By the end of the game, now your one-on-one is going to be Drew Holiday, but it's still going to be a one-on-one. We're not helping off of corner threes from Mikhail Bridges. That's not something we're going to do. We're not going to help off of Jay Crowder, who's at the top of the key. This is your offense, so take shots, right? And if you hit them, fine, because we'd like to think that for every bucket you make, you're going to miss three more because Devin Booker can just kind of be that player. And he had his games too. If I was the Celtics, I would let the doors open up a bit for Giannis in the hopes that he doesn't get 12 assists. And he doesn't get Brooke Lopez going. And Bobby Portis and Drew Holiday and Wes Matthews have been knocking down threes. And I, that would be my strategy. Maybe that's what the Celtics will do. Maybe not. Look, there might not be a right or a wrong answer. There might not be a way to slow down Giannis. And if you don't pay special attention to him, maybe he'll go for 60. You know what I mean? Like, it's a dangerous game to say, well, we're going to let Giannis cook. Okay, well, then he might score 80. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because he's that good. So maybe that's a dangerous game to play. I don't know. I'm so fascinated at the idea that you can bank Giannis winning you essentially two games in a series. And Giannis had 24 points in game one, and the Bucks were still able to win something else. Let's talk to Ed and Madison. Ed, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Hey, Grant. I love your, I love your uh, take. I'm, I would love them to let Giannis go off for 40, 50. I invite that. Yeah, okay. I just think the Bucks' defense is the key, it was the key last time. And plus, I know Boston had an off day, but, you know, I think it's two-part. Bucks calls that, too, you know. Um, I, the one thing I don't want to see tonight is the game to start out with a lot of turnovers. That was kind of a That was hard to watch for the first five, six, seven minutes, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of turnovers. And I, I don't know. I think defense can cause just as much turnovers. And I kind of thought that's what was going on. They were like feeling their, feeling them out, and they were feeling the Bucks out too. Um, I say um, I'm going to stick with my prediction: Bucks and six. Um, that seems to always be the the mantra of the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I don't see it going seven. And uh, Marcus, what's up with uh, Smart? Is it is he? I didn't hear his. What's up with him? I know he's out. He's out with a thigh contusion. I know he had a shoulder issue, too, and he had, like, he has a couple things going on, but it's the thigh. Wow, that's a really, that was a physical game, too. And I think yeah. the Bucks are built for physicality, and that's what I like about this team. He, without P.J. Tucker, it still don't matter. I think Wes Matthews mm-hmm. can be that uh, guy that can get snarky and get in there and mix it up, and I think that's a key. Dude, you know I think Ed, you put Ed, him on. Yeah, Ed, you know what bothers me, by the way, about Wesley Matthews is for the month leading into the playoffs, I heard a lot of NBA people say, well, I don't know if I love the Bucs this year. I mean, Wesley Matthews is playing a lot for them, as if that's some sort of mark. And don't get me wrong, Wesley Matthews isn't a, he's not an all-star. But now, a couple games into the playoffs, Wesley Matthews looks like he's built for this team and built for these moments. I just, yes. it, it's weird how Wesley Matthews has kind of stayed the same, but now everyone's perception on him, once the playoffs has started, the perception has changed. 
I agree. you got to have a guy that can come off the bench. I go back to some of the old Laker teams when they had um, – um, who was the guy that could come off the bench and hit light up threes? Um, oh, shoot. It just had um, – last name was an H. Which, um, which era? Which Lakers? Um, okay, let's go, let's go uh, the later when they had Shaq and Kobe. No, no, just Kobe. Um, like 2010? Like, like 2010 yeah, Lakers? Yes. I could look up that roster. Um, they had a guy that off the bench. Oh, God. Dang it. I'll, I'll find um, it. I'll find it. I'll, I'll get there for you. But you got to have a guy that can come off the bench. And, you know, Wes has kind of got a little bit of both things going. He's got defense. He hits a co- occasional two or three threes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's he's um, he's very important part of the team. Um, I, I think um, he's right up there. Grayson is just as much an important part of the team. I mean, I, I watched more Bucks games this year than I've ever had before last year. I mean, last year I watched them, but I was like in and out, in and out. I think this year this team has been much more um, potent when it comes to offensive scoring. I mean, they just have a better all-round offensive scoring with Giannis passing the ball as much as he does. He's learned an art, an art that you just can't, you know, teach yourself. You you have to have your teammates buy into his way he passes. They're looking for it. They're, I guess the best analogy is their heads are on a swivel. Yeah. It's no different than when you're going across the end zone and you're, you know, you're doing your routes with Aaron Rodgers. You're, as a wide receiver, you can't stop your routes. Yeah. I think that's kind of... That analogy kind of fits with this team too. When Giannis drives, you don't stop. You keep. You're looking and you're you're moving. It's a moving. It's like a fine machine. Well, Giannis, you, Giannis, like Rogers, he will extend the play to the last moment. Like Rogers will almost run out of bounds sometimes before uncorking a pass. Like think of that Jared Cook pass yeah. against the Cowboys. Giannis will get to the rim, jump up in the air, spin around, and as he's falling away, then he'll make a pass. So I, I think you're right. There's a there's a great analogy we made between Rogers receivers and the shooters that surround Giannis. I'm with you there. Yeah. Well, yeah, man. Thanks for your take. And I I go. I say Giannis, bring us fifty, and they can stop him, and they let him. And they, you know, I don't know. I just think we have too powerful an offense right now, and if Boston can shut us down tonight. Game on. Um, I'm looking forward to coming back to Milwaukee. Um, we're going to have great weather this weekend. The Deer District, it will be rocking. I love that, Ed. Enjoy the game tonight. Let's chat soon. Thanks for the call. All right. All right. Bye. Ed in Madison. Thank you, brother. 608-796-2558. Yeah, Robert Horry, is that who you were thinking about? We have, uh, we have a team of producers all chiming in on Twitter. I thought maybe he was talking about Derek Fisher. And also, I was like, shoot, because I don't know. It's like, which Lakers team, man? I And I don't know any of them very well because I didn't get super into the NBA until like 2010, 2011. So I was just after that Kobe championship when he had POW. I remember getting into the NBA when LeBron was taking over in Miami. I, the Mavericks finals, I was in seventh grade. I remember that was the first season I was really in tune with. And I remember one Wednesday night game, staying up late in the basement by myself, watching Kevin Durant go for 50, and I'm just like, man, this is nuts. So I was a little bit after, but I think, yeah, he's talking about Robert Horry. I appreciate the tweet. Sean, Ben, Cody, we're on it, like white on rice. Hey, let's take a break. I want to next do some draft grades. Draft grades are stupid, but Dan Orlovsky went on ESPN the other morning, and we talked about this yesterday. He gave the Packers a WTF, and he inspired me to do some draft grades of my own. So I have one, two, three, four, five, six grades, uh, and they are in the style, uh, an homage, a tribute, if you will, to Dan Orlovsky. We'll do that next on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk a little draft. 
This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Two things I want to address before we get into some draft stuff. I have some grades to hand out, but I have a couple things I want to mention first. First, speaking of grades, I believe it's National Teacher Appreciation Today. So if you're a teacher, you're appreciated. Thank you for what you do. Uh, One of my best friends from school who went to school with at UWL is a teacher now. And I'm I'm not just saying this. I am blown away by what he does every day. I'm like, wait, so you go... Somewhere every day, and you are in charge of a group of children, not just one, which would be too much for me, but but a group. And you get them to do things that they don't want to do, and you teach them things and get them excited about learning. I don't know. When you actually sit down and think about it, and think when you were a kid, or think of your kids. Kids suck. Like, we love them. Most people love kids. I'm, I'm indifferent at this stage of my life. But think, kids suck. And teachers just walk in and they have this way about them. That's super cool. So teachers, you're appreciated. Thank you for what you do. Also something that I want to clarify. Earlier in the show, I compared my car, my 2002 Toyota Avalon, to Sean Livingston. And that was off the cuff. And I feel even better about that comparison a half hour later. I got a tweet from Joe Cody, uh, who is a music legend in the lacrosse music scene. You You go see Joe. He's awesome. And he just tweeted me, Sean Livingston, question mark. Yeah, I'm going to stand by that. I think my 2002 white Toyota Avalon is Sean Livingston. Uh, A a product of a different era, right? Spacious, uh, large, squishy seats, not meant for back support. I had a five, six-hour drive last Thursday. My back still hurts from it. Six-disc CD changer, ashtray. Those Those are components of a different era. But it aged so well. It's still such a great car. In fact, when I drive friends around, they're like, man, is this, is this a 2022? No, no, it's a 2002. Thank you for taking a ride. Go ahead, reach behind you. There's, a, there's a, an armrest that folds down. There's an ashtray right in there. I know we're not smoking, but I just want to let you know that my car does have an ashtray because that's badass. Sean Livingston, a player that was born of an older era, the mid-range, and aged so perfectly and was such a strong contending uh, or part of a contending team with Golden State. So, yeah, not only I'm going to double down on that comparison. My car is Sean Livingston. If my car was an NBA player, it would be Sean Livingston. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how that came up earlier, but I'm sure it made sense at the time. Go back and listen to the podcast, I guess, if you really want to know. Okay, I want to do some draft grades. Draft grades are really stupid, and they're really annoying. And then the more annoying part than the draft grades is the people getting on Twitter to talk about draft grades are so stupid. Yeah, just move on. We don't need to even talk about it. But I heard this from Dan Orlovsky, and we talked about this yesterday a little bit. Get up on Monday morning. This happened. This was the thing that happened on ESPN. I'm just going to play it for you. Orlovsky, what grade do you give the Packers? (laughs) I'm going WTF plus. (laughs) I'm like, what the fudge plus? Like, listen, the plus becomes... You're a better football team. I'm with that. You got good football players, a great defense from Georgia. Awesome. I don't think you're any closer to winning Super Bowl than I did when you started this draft. 
We all know what the flaws of this football team were or where the needs of this football team were given where they were last year and then the loss of Devontae Adams. You're not going to win the Super Bowl because your defense goes from top 10 to second. You're not going to win the Super Bowl because you give up 13 points in the playoffs and this time you'll give up 10. They needed skill position help. I thought they needed to draft two receivers early or make a move to go get one, and they didn't do either of that. Okay, I'm not going to lie. I don't care about any of that analysis. I don't care. They're no closer to the Super Bowl. Well, this year's Super Bowl is different than last year's Super Bowl. It's so it's so weird. The dumb teams are the teams that try to win last year's Super Bowl. But anyway, the analysis is the part I don't care about. I'm just blown away that he said WTF plus, and that elicited not just a chuckle, but like a hearty rolling laugh from everyone in the studio. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> that's my favorite laugh sound effect these days. That's House. That's from an old episode of House. Okay, so this Orlowski draft grade, this WTF grade, got me thinking, what if I were to grade some drafts, but do so in the style of Dan Orlowski? So here we go. Whenever you list things or do rankings in sports radio, you got to play music in the background. I don't make the rules. I'm just here to play by the rules. I have six draft grades. You ready? Are you ready? All right, here we go. Uh, The first team that I would like to assign a grade to, the Patriots. I would like to assign them a draft grade of AARP. (laughs) If if Orlovsky can say WTF, I'm going to say AARP. Or the, what does it stand for again? The American Association of Retired Persons. Uh, Because they reached for Cole Strange in the first round. He turns 24 in July. And the only people who were around during the last good Patriots draft are probably now 65 or older because it's been that long. So the Patriots, my draft grade for them, AARP, WTF+. I could do better than that. All right, next team, the Bears. I would like to give the Bears a draft grade of XOXO, as in hugs and kisses. Because I'm sending my hugs and kisses to Bears fans because I feel bad for you, genuinely. Not because I think you had a terrible draft. We can discuss that maybe at a different time. I feel bad for Bears fans and would like to send them X's nose because Bears fans are now carrying a cross that Packers fans have been carrying for years. I want to read you an excerpt from PFF's draft grade piece that came out on Sunday, I believe. You tell me what jumps out to you here is, is something familiar. Packers fans, ready? Day two. There were a couple of different ways the Bears could have gone with their first pick, but they again decided not to add an offensive lineman or wide receiver to support fields. And then they talk about Gordon, cornerback they drafted, and some other things they did. Does that not sound like something we've been hearing for years? The Packers could have done any number of things, but they didn't elect to help Aaron Rodgers. Look, I think the Bears are in a really tough spot. They're in a really tough spot. Because all things being normal... You would want to build around Justin Fields to try to win on that rookie contract. Get him some wide receivers, get him all the help, like what the Chargers are doing with Justin Fields. The problem is Justin Fields, or I I meant Justin Herbert. The problem is Justin Fields is overlap from an era that went all in to just try to be competent with Justin Fields. So while the cap money might be there, they don't really want to immediately go in a hole to spend it, and they don't want to spray draft capital all around just to reach on wide receivers. And I understand why. So the problem with the Bears, I don't believe is Ryan Poles. He's kind of, he's kind of screwed if he does, screwed if he doesn't. The problem with the Bears is that they held on to Nagy and Pace one year too long. And that overlap, I think, really damaged Ryan Poles' ability to do the job correctly, which should be to hit the ground running with fields this year. But I'm sorry, Bears fans. XOXO, that is my draft grade for you guys. All right, Saints. 
my draft grade for them. YOLO, Y-O-L-O, or you only live once. Uh, the Saints draft, like each draft will be their last. And the way our world is going, it might be. So I almost respect it. They traded to get an extra first, and then they used those two firsts to, to then move up and get another first because they wanted Chris Olave. I weirdly respect how the Saints draft. They don't overthink it. They say, hey, if we can get two great players from this draft, then we're happy. So let's just trade up, use all of our capital to go all in on two or three players we love. And if we get the wide receiver and the tackle that we love, then what's the point of the rest of the draft? I know it's bad process and football analytics people would hate it, but I weirdly respect it because part of the fun of the draft is all of these teams approach differently. The Saints, my draft grade, a YOLO, as in you only live once. The Cardinals, my draft grade for them, LMAO, a.k.a. laughing my ass off. They traded a first-round pick for Hollywood Brown. (laughs) Traded to get an extra first. They sent a first-rounder for him. A.J. Brown went for a one and a three. Maybe Steve Keim thought he was trading for A.J. Brown. Remember when that happened in the NBA a couple of years ago? When I think it was the Suns and the Grizzlies were trading... Brooks, but one team thought they were getting Marshawn Brooks and the other team thought they were getting Dylan Brooks and were like, oh my God, how did this happen? And how did this get out? It's like the, the most, the biggest sign of incompetence in a front office. You thought you were getting Dylan. You thought you were getting Marshawn. Incredible. But maybe that's what happened with the Cardinals, a first round pick for Hollywood Brown. My draft grade for Arizona and LMAO. Uh, the Chiefs. I got two more here. My, uh, the Chiefs, my, my grade for the Chiefs is an STFU, as in shut the F up. Uh, because in my opinion, they had a really good draft, and it kind of triggered me. Because <laughs> they had a draft that, in an alternate world, the Packers could have had, right? They had great value at 30 with George Karloftis. It was the best values of the draft. Karloftis's over-under was 22 and a half. They got them eight picks later than they probably should have. They got a corner. I think Kansas City, funny enough, they also traded their star wide receiver, had an alternate universe Packers draft. The Packers went linebacker early, edge late. The Chiefs went edge early, wide receiver middle of the round. They got Sky Moore when the Packers got Christian Watson. I cannot wait to watch how the Packers draft plays out versus how the Chiefs draft plays out. Um, And I'm a little jealous. So my draft grade for the Chiefs is an STFU. All right, the last one I have, and then we got to take a break. The Eagles, uh, this is a simple one. TLDR, as in too long, didn't read because they made too many trades, and I'm not going to take the time to read and understand all of the moves that they made because I don't want to. TLDR, too long, didn't read, but that's my grade for the Eagles. <laughs> Let's take a break. I'm going to get to some of your texts and tweets coming up next. 608-796-2558. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. School is in session, folks. I handed out some of my draft grades. Uh, inspired by Dan Orlovsky's WTF Plus grade of the Packers. I gave the Patriots AARP. 
because they drafted a 24-year-old. And anyone who was alive the last time the Pats actually had a good draft is probably eligible for AARP. They're not already a member. The Bears, XOXO, hugs and kisses, because I feel bad for you guys. Every draft review I read is that they didn't get Fields enough help. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But the Packers, we've been carrying that cross for years. So welcome to the Club Bears. A little hug and a kiss for you. Uh, Saints, YOLO, Y-O-L-O, because they draft every year like it's the last time we're ever going to draft. They trade up and they get the guys they want. The Cardinals, L-M-A-O, trading a first-round pick for Hollywood Brown. The Chiefs, STFU, because they had a really good draft, and it kind of makes me mad. And the Eagles, TLDR, uh, too long, didn't read. Too many trades, and I'm not looking at all the charts to understand where all the picks went. It's just, it's too much. Uh, Speaking of school being in session, uh, happy teacher appreciation to those teachers out there. I was saying about 15 minutes ago, one of my best friends uh, from UWL is a teacher, and I'm blown away every day. He tells me stories. I'm like, so you just go... Just keep kids in line for how many hours a day? It's like, I have to talk to two coworkers, and I think I'm going to tip over out of exhaustion. You wrangle kids, and you get them to do things they don't want to do. It's like, hey, do this worksheet. Good good luck with that. My boss asked me to send one email, and I throw a temper tantrum, and I'm 24. Jeff tweets in, says, thank you for the teacher shout-out. A lot of folks have started to trash the profession. Uh, thank you for taking a positive stand. It's, very, it's appreciated. Oh, thank you, Jeff. If you're a teacher, I don't know if you're just speaking for teachers or if you're a teacher yourself. I don't know why we would I don't know why we would trash teachers because if teachers stopped doing their job tomorrow this world would crumble. We had to stay home with our kids for like 4 weeks at the beginning of the pandemic and I thought the world was going to end. That's how tough it was. We love our kids and I don't have any kids so I guess I'm speaking about the world. We love our kids but we don't really love being with them all the time. So teachers who take that burden and give kids a positive outlet for a couple of hours a day, we appreciate you. Happy Teacher Appreciation Day. Thank you for all that you do whether it's elementary school, High school, college, whatever you do. Thank you for what you do. Let's take a break. Get a Wisconsin Sports Zone update. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the Bucks and the Celtics. I have a Packers theory that is going to blow you away. And I'm going to share it with you at 530. I love this take. I came up with it this morning. It's my favorite thing I've thought of in a couple of weeks. I can't wait to share it. That's coming up at 530. Bucks Celtics coming up next. Oh. 